Have you got a secret desire, a need, a wish to do something you just haven't had the time or the courage to try? Today's guest might be the one who could motivate you to finally give it a shot. Hi, it's Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. In the spotlight, a woman who spent 30 years in the insurance business, first as an agent and then as an insurance investigator, trying to sniff out fraudulent claims. She's always been a writer and has a lifelong love of murder mysteries. So finally, after a lot of prodding from her late husband and now a new soulmate, she is the proud author of the six books that make up the Amy Lynch Investigations series. Sweet Dreams, Sweet Death, Dead Drop, Deep Secrets, Direct Elimination, Deadly Diamonds, and the latest book, Avenging Madonna, which has just been published. Her nom de plume is P.K. Norton. Her first name is Paula. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. It's so nice to finally meet you. Your love of murder mysteries goes way back to a game you used to play over cocktails (laughs) with your late husband, Jack. Tell us that story. Jack is the one who got me finally to start writing after I talked about it for years. And he was my muse in many ways, as well as my critic and my incentive and everything else. When we went out to dinner, we would sit around and talk about ways to kill people. (laughs) How lovely. So would you sit there at a restaurant and say, look at that woman over there? Well, we didn't let her see us pointing. Of course. So how did you concoct these stories, though? Take me into it. It all started at the Brotherhood of Thieves in Nantucket. We were there. It was the early 90s. I'd known Jack since 75. I'd been talking about writing all that time. He finally looked at me that day and said, don't you think it's time to do something about it? He phrased it differently. but <laughs> Did he say something like, it's time for you, Paula, to get off your ass and write a book? Something like that, <laughs> yes. So I said, okay, I can do that. Take us back to when you finally started the writing, because whether it's tapping onto a keyboard or taking pen to paper, it's a moment when you finally do it. Yes, and I think it was at a keyboard, although I do a lot handwritten. Once Jack gave me the germ of an idea... It was simple. I told him I didn't know what to write about. And he said, okay, tell me three things you're interested in. And at that point, I just very quickly said, well, Paris, archaeology, and spies. And what else? (laughs) And he sat back and closed his eyes for a moment, and then he opened them and gave me the germ of a story. And we built it from there. The first book called Sweet Dreams, Sweet Death. How did you take those few ideas that you just shared with me, along with your cocktail conversations (laughs) about how to kill people, and turn them into that first book? Now, those ideas are in Dead Drop, actually. Dead Drop has Amy volunteering at an archaeological dig in Paris, where I once worked. Her first day there, she gets there, and the head of the dig has been murdered. And the woman who is running the dig once this guy is killed, the woman is um, the one who was my landlady when I lived in Paris. <laughs> I was just about to ask, do you take people out of your life yeah. and make them characters? You bet. Oh. Um, this is back in 1970. Madame Joubon 
made me look large. <laughs> she was this tiny, teeny tiny little lady, and she was probably in her 50s then. She ran the boarding house, uh, the pension where I lived. And we got to be friendly, and she worked in the resistance during the war. She used to. Oh, I bet she had so many stories. She had permission to take the train to, quote, free France in the South to visit her brother. And when she came home, she would smuggle back forged passports. Interesting. And she got caught by the Nazis, and they broke all her knuckles. And And she told you all those stories. She did. So I had to have her in the book. Is there a discipline to your writing? How does it work, Paul? There is no discipline whatsoever. She shakes her head very vehemently. It depends on how you define that. When I plot a book, I make an Excel sheet. I have a spreadsheet divided by days and times of day to make sure that every day is full and things happen in the proper order. And it lets me know where I'm going or where I have to go back to to change something. That must be so important when you're writing a mystery. It's critical. You have to have your clues in the right places. But on the other hand, when it comes to sitting down and writing, it's usually whenever I damn well feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so many of the authors that I've had a chance to talk to over so many years will tell me that they needed some sort of schedule and commitment, because if they didn't, and this includes songwriters, if they didn't, they'd get lazy, and a week would go by, or two weeks could go by, and it's a craft, right? It is, and I have probably become lazy somewhat over the past couple of years. Well, you have six books to show for it, so you haven't been very lazy. Well, I had a hiatus. August of 2020, I took a fall and fractured my skull and had brain bleeds and a concussion, and and I almost didn't live. How did that change you? It brought out what I was meant to be all along. I mean, I was literally helpless. I had a neighbor who got my groceries for me, another one who drove me places, and I could only get upstairs because I happened to have a chair stair in my house. My husband had Parkinson's. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't read. Screen time hurt. I sat on my back deck and listened to the grass grow and watched the birds. Basically, I taught myself how to meditate. And what did you learn? Well, I learned that God doesn't want me yet. I've got something left to do here, and I'm going nowhere until it's done. And then it was like 10 months after that that Tom came back into my life. And maybe that's why I didn't die. Well, let's talk a little bit first about Jack, and then we'll talk about Tom. Absolutely. Jack, your husband of how many years? We were only married for 15 years, but we went together for 25 years before we got married. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and you were his caretaker. I was. Take us back to that time in your life and tell us a little bit about this relationship, because he sure was your muse. Yes, he was. I met him at the wedding where my sister married his brother. Oh, my goodness. At the time, he was living in California. He moved back shortly after that. And we saw each other off and on and on and on for 25 years. And we had a wonderful time. We traveled a lot. He encouraged me in every way. And it was in the early 90s he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and I was not surprised. Mm. Just kind of had a clue. And we got married in 2000. 
When someone has Parkinson's, it's a degenerative disease. It must be so hard to watch someone you love fall apart a little bit more every day. It is. And it was worse for me in a way, and this is a little bit long, but as he was slowly degenerating, my father's Parkinson's became worse. My mother was his primary caregiver, and she had dementia. And they lived with my brother, who was a successful lawyer but paralyzed from the waist down. And he suddenly got a lung disease and needed a double lung transplant. So it all happened at the same time. Yes, and... My brother sold his house, my sister built an in-law apartment, and we took care of them. And I didn't even notice Jack degenerating at that point because he was my rock. I had to go to work every day. He was a landlord. He didn't go anywhere. And he drove people to appointments. He did errands. He did everything I couldn't do. And he was probably getting worse all that time, and I didn't notice until the year when we buried all three of them within less than a year. Adversity is a great teacher. It sounds to me like it all happened at the same time. It did. And Jack got me through it. And the whole time when life was really pretty awful, I kept writing. Writing kept me sane. It kept me centered. It gave me something to think about other than how awful things were. Well, I have learned through our mutual friend, Lindsay Parker, Mm -hmm. that it was Jack who had said to you, you got to write these books. Yeah. And before he passed, he said, promise me you're going to write these books. Mm -hmm. You lost him and you have continued the writing at his urging. What would he think about this latest book, Avenging Madonna? He would love it because it has a slightly different Topic. I try to come up with interesting things, and, and this involves cattle rustling. <laughs> <laughs> and where did that come from? Well, you it, read an article on it one day and said, I'm going to write a book about cattle wrestling. Let me tell you that story. Yes, please. Jack and I traveled a lot, and we frequently went to California. We had friends out there. And one day, he took me down to San Luis Obispo. Beautiful. To, he wanted me to go to the Madonna Inn. And, and the, we're not talking about the pop star. No. The reason he wanted me to go there, he wanted me to see the men's room. The Madonna Inn is quite a place. It's fabulous. And the men's room, um, (laughs) one entire wall is a waterfall. That's the urinal. (laughs) (laughs) This is why women should, every once in a while, get a chance to go into the men's room. You know what I mean? (laughs) They have an employee who sits out front and tells women when it's okay to go in. Just to see it. Yes. I love that. So that was delightful, and we stayed there that night, and I quickly learned, first of all, the place is fascinating from a decorative point of view. Their primary color is Pepto-Bismol pink. (laughs) Everything is Pepto-Bismol pink. Every room has a different theme and decor, and some of them are really out there, like the jungle room. And besides being a motel, they are also a cattle ranch. There was a time when John Wayne was one of the partners in the cattle ranch. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking... There's a story here. Yes. And then I started learning about San Luis Obispo. Did you know that back in the days of the gold rush, it was the single most lawless town in America? I would never know that, but I bet it's in your book. It sure is. It's got a fascinating history. And putting all of that together, and I came up with the story... 
that would take the past and tie it into the present. And it was so much fun to write. Just before we started talking about Jack, you mentioned that someone named Tom came into your life. He came back. He came back into your life. Tell us about Tom. I just had a chance to meet him out in our conference room before walking into our recording studio. Tom and I met at a high school dance when we were 15. We immediately fell in love. We went together. Wait a minute. Is he the guy who got away? Well, he came back. (laughs) Finally, our parents pushed us apart because we were too young to be so serious. We broke up in high school. We broke up in college, but we always stayed in touch. He and Jack met each other. Tom visited any time he was up this way. We went out to dinner, me and Jack and Tom. I saw him off and on for years, and I killed him in my third book. What? (laughs) Yes. Tell me that story. The beginning of the story, there is a fellow who has an accident while scuba diving and goes into a coma. And I needed Amy Lynch to have a personal connection, so I decided, I bet it's her high school boyfriend, whom she dumped unceremoniously, (laughs) which is not what I did. but. But in this life, you did, right? Yeah, and he saw that online, and he got really interested in my books. August of 2019, he came up for a couple days. Then he was coming up on family business almost two years ago now. So I invited him to dinner, and he still hasn't left. <laughs> well, when I, when I met him, and by the way, he's very handsome. Isn't he? He sure is. He told me that he has had a hand in designing some of the covers for you. Absolutely. I've told him what I'd like. And that's what he's done. (laughs) And he breathes life into it, eh? Yes. As you see here, we've got a hanged man. We've got the old mission church. We're talking about Avenging Madonna, the cover of that. Yes. And we've got a chest full of gold coins, and the hanged man is bleeding on them. All right. Well, it's a little on the gory side here in the life of P.K. Norton. They're all a little gory. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go back to the very beginning of your story, Paula. Where are you from, and what was life like in your house when you were growing up? I grew up in Abington, and it was like Leave it to Beaver. Just a wonderful place and time and way to grow up. Tell me a little bit about your life in your house. What was the golden rule, or was there one? We were Irish, which meant you always wore a robe. Irish people are very modest. (laughs) There were four kids in the family. My grandmother, my mother's mother lived with us. We lived on a pond, and it was delightful. Who was your role model when you were growing up? Nancy Drew. Interesting. Well, my books are Nancy Drew for grown-ups. Interesting way to describe that. And that's the audience that I attract. Wow, because I so remember my Nancy Drew books, and I had a little bookshelf with all of them numbered. I loved my Nancy Drew books. Have you always had a great big imagination, and did you write well when you were in school? I was the smart one in school. I was the nerd. I always, always, always wanted to write. I wrote stories when I was a kid. They weren't very good, but, but my grammar was perfect. What was your major in college, and did you know what you wanted to do with your life yeah. at that time? My degree is in French literature. Okay, where did that come from? I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and where'd you go to school? I went to Regis and then to the University of Paris for a year, and I got my master's at Boston College. 
what is it like to be an insurance investigator? Because that's how you earned your living for a long, yes. long time. I did many things in the industry. I was an agent. I was an underwriter. The investigator part was the funnest because I got to seek out the bad guys. I am actually able to spot a bogus Brazilian driver's license. <laughs> You can spot a potential claim a mile away. You bet. I didn't believe people lived at certain addresses. I'd drive by and look for them. So you've always had that investigative little gene in your body. Oh, yeah. It's, it's in the DNA. Absolutely. So how many years were you an insurance investigator? Probably the last 10. I was in the business for 30 years, and I started at the bottom. Before that, I taught high school French. There's the use of French, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't it so true? I've learned this from the hundreds and hundreds of women that I've sat and interviewed. Is every job teaches us something. Yes. What have you learned along the way from these different jobs? I have learned how to explain things in excruciating detail, breaking them down into small steps so that they're perfectly understandable to anybody. <laughs> that was one of my best tricks. <laughs> I learned how to get along with people a little better. <laughs> I learned how to be suspicious. Ooh. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Let's say that there is someone who is listening to this episode, mm -hmm. and she has a book in her. What do you say about taking that first step as I, a writer? I say join the Cape Cod Writers Conference. Join the Association of Rhode Island Authors. Cape Cod Writers offers courses. And Jack joined with me when I joined. And he came to all the classes with me, and he made me do my homework. <laughs> and I learned a tremendous amount. And then I got a critique group. And we met, like, twice a month and kindly critiqued each other's works. And that was a tremendous help. So no matter where you are all around the world, because we have listeners everywhere, then the advice really is to get a support system together of other writers. Absolutely. And that has been fabulous for me. You have six books in this body of work. What is your goal for your series? Right now, I do it because it is simply fun. Tom and I plot together, and we have a ball doing it, and we bounce around crazy ideas, and then he makes me stick to reality. But it's just fun. You know, we all need an objective third party in our life, and it's clear that Jack was your first muse and Tom is your second one. You've been so fortunate in that way. It was a handoff, believe me. I think I'm extremely lucky I've been able to have two big, great loves in my life. When an obstacle is in your path, mm -hmm. how do you get around it? The sneaky way. I, I'll, <laughs> I don't do anything direct. I find the ass backwards way to approach things. It's a lot more fun. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners? Be yourself. My mother used to say, sit back and listen to the grass grow. Just take a deep breath and be yourself. And things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And in the end, it's all for the best. You know, the last time you said, listen to the grass grow, you were talking about your accident mm -hmm. in 2020. Yes. When you were literally incapacitated. Totally. At that time in your life. As you look back 
on that time a couple years ago, what was the greatest lesson you learned? How to meditate and just sit back and enjoy the world as it is. I had fun watching the birds. Were you scared? Actually, never. I don't know why. There was a day... I was on the phone with my sister. I, I had been had my head stitched up four days prior. You fractured your skull. Yes. And this was during your recovery period. Yes. And I said to my sister, my headache is getting a little bit worse every day. And God love her. She saved my life. She said, get to the emergency room now. And I got a friend to bring me over. And they did a CAT scan or whatever it is they did. And they walked in the room and said to me, we, we need to transfer you to Boston so you can see a brain surgeon. That was the scariest. And then what happened? Well, I did not have brain surgery. I don't know what they did. I honestly don't. But a couple days later, I was okay to come home, and it was a very long recovery. And here you are. Yes. Are you proud of this body of work? I'm delighted with it. I love it. Amy is my good friend. Tom and I talk about Amy and her boyfriend Pete and her dog like they're our neighbors. Amy Lynch Investigation Series continues, right? Who knows how long it's going to go? As long as I can do it. Right now, in this chapter in your life, Mm -hmm. P.K. Norton, what does success mean to you? It means doing what I love to do and having a good time with it. And that's the story behind her success for this week. My thanks to murder mystery writer P.K. Norton author of the Amy Lynch Investigations series. Check out her website, pknortonauthor.com. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please let me know about her? Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. Give the show a follow on your favorite podcast platform. And also tell your friends and your family about the show. Leave a review if you would be so kind. I'll always have a new and inspiring story for you next week. When we share our stories, no matter where we are in this great big world, we provide a roadmap towards success. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.